0: As I mentioned this morning, our text is the first 10 verses of Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open there and follow along as I read these verses aloud. It begins there and it says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me for three days and they have nothing to eat if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way for some of them have come from afar. But his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them before them also. So they ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about four thousand and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this morning. We want to continually come before you, Lord, so that we can center our thoughts in our hearts, on how good of a God you are, and your great mercy and love for our lives. Lord, we know that you've promised in your word that you uh, will be here to meet with us in a special way. We know, Lord, that you desire to speak to us through your word. And so, God, we pray that for each and every person here that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that individually you would Whisper things to us, God, something new from this passage, perhaps a familiar passage to many of us. But, God, we know that your word is living and applicable for us, inerrant and perfect, Lord. And so we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, and uh, a willingness, Lord, to receive from you all that you want for our lives. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So there I was, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. It was January of 2006. The church here had sent a team down to help in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. A second team followed in February of that year as well. Now, we worked out of a Calvary Chapel base camp there in the city that fed local families. They assisted in cleanup and rebuilding. They also offered a place of worship for anyone who wanted to attend. Now, on one particular day, I found myself on the food service line. When the camp first opened, they fed over 2,000 people a day. By the time we were there, they fed between 800 and 1,000 people a day and then sort of tapered off as people became you know, uh, more established again and had, were able to settle back into a home or, or some sort of lodging. But that particular day, I found myself there on the food service line. The lunch menu that afternoon was a regional favorite, catfish and collard greens. Man, you never saw people so excited. I just... The locals, man, they were they were so excited. Now, of course, they were hungry. The Mississippians there were very hungry. But, man, they were really excited. It wasn't every day and every meal that the camp was able to get comfort food or regional food. It was more sort of, you know, cover all sorts of things that you would expect in a disaster zone. And so when we had a, you know, a meal that they would eat at home, man, they were excited. Now, unfortunately, I was assigned to the collard greens. Now... This is just me personally. No offense to anyone, but I cannot tell you a more objectionable smell than a huge vat of soggy, steaming collard greens. And and that's coming from somebody that has an infant at home. I just, man... I'd change a thousand dirty diapers rather than serve those collard greens again. I can still vividly remember what it was like each time I pulled the lid off that huge cambro and just plopped a big sticky serving onto those plates. A wave of wet smell coming over my face and man, it was horrifying. The people, they were very excited. It's a great side dish, very tasty and healthy, I'm sure, but I guess it's an acquired taste for the nose. Uh, The trip was really a great blessing, but I assure you, you won't be served any collard greens if you have a meal at the Pensiero house for a number of years. Now in Mark chapter 8, we have a remarkable story here of a different type of meal service, but a meal service all the same. It's a famous story, probably familiar to many of you, where Jesus miraculously feeds over 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a few fish. In this passage, we are provided with three characters, if you will. We have Jesus, we have the disciples, we have the multitude. That's our cast of characters. Each of those can teach us this morning. Each can help us evaluate the condition of our own hearts, state of our lives today. And so as we come to this familiar text... We must remember that God's word is delivered to us for continual application day by day. God's word is delivered to us for continual uh, instruction. And today, the Lord has a special message for us if we're willing to receive it. That's the promise that he has made to us in the Bible. In him we live, we move, and we have our being, and therefore he has delivered us his word so that we can apply these things to our lives And live the kind of life that he wants for us. And so as we're learning from these three characters this morning. I think we can look at them this way. First we have the crowd. The multitude that came to hear Jesus, they speak to us on a very foundational or base spiritual level. The crowd shows us our mindset. That's the word we're going to be referring to a lot when talking about them. The crowd shows to us our hearts, whether we are Christians here this morning or whether we're not Christians, the crowd sort of represents to us our mindset and what we can learn about that. Secondly, we have the disciples, those 12 guys that left all the follow after the Lord and lived with him and they partnered with him in his ministry on the earth. They are examples to us as Christians, as those who have determined to follow Jesus, as those who desire to serve him. Then the disciples are examples to us as well. They show us our mission as disciples. That's the word we're going to use when talking about them. And then thirdly, we have our wonderful Jesus, God come in human flesh, who set aside the independent use of his deity in order to live a life led perfectly by the Spirit. Jesus shows us how to carry out the heart and the plan of God. He provides the wisdom and the understanding necessary for us this morning, and then he lived it all out for us to see perfectly. Therefore, he is our measure. He is the standard by which we live our lives here on the earth. And so as we go through this text, we will find much to learn either about our mindset, our mission, or our measure. And so we begin in verse 1, and there we read this. It says, In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me for three days, and they have nothing to eat. This passage opens up with this phrase, in those days, and so we need to figure out what days Mark is talking about. This event here took place sometime in AD 29, thereabouts, probably after the spring, could have been into the summer. It was about halfway through Jesus' official three and a half year ministry there before his crucifixion and resurrection. At this point, Jesus was just about at the peak of his popularity among the people. To give you a reference that we're going to return to in a moment, this, is, this event is only a few months after Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. That's a very important uh, point that we'll return to in just a minute. And so Jesus had been healing and teaching and performing tons of miracles all over the countryside and his fame had spread throughout the nation. And once again, a crowd of thousands had come out to him in the desert to hear him teach and to have him heal their sick and just to see what this guy was all about. They've been hearing all of these things from their friends and from their neighbors. And these stories are spreading from town to town about how he's casting out demons and the lame are walking, the blind are seeing. Other people are talking about how they heard this man teach and no one they've ever heard before taught like this. No expert in the law, no scribe or Pharisee. Nobody spoke like this guy. And so thousands had flocked out there in the desert to hear him teach to heal, to see what he was all about. Now, some of this crowd, some of this multitude would have come with the hope that Jesus would save them from some infirmity, some sickness. They would have perhaps brought their sick and ill family members and friends to this guy because they heard if he touches you, then you'll be made clean. You'll be made whole. He's healing lepers. He's doing all these different things. And they would have brought him there themselves and their families out to be healed. Some would have come to hear his teachings from the word of God, and some would have just come to see the miraculous happen. It was a very unique form of entertainment for them to see this new conjurer, as it were, and see what he said and what he did and get that sort of entertainment. Others perhaps didn't really know why they came and didn't know why they were there that morning, but they found themselves there at the feet of Jesus in the presence of God, a very God. Now, let's turn this around and apply it to ourselves. What about us? What is our mindset when we come before the Lord? If we are a member of the multitude or a member of a crowd here this morning, what are we focused on? What's our mindset as we come before the Lord? As we gather together week by week or as Christians, as you go to your personal devotions or to prayer or to study the word, what is our individual motivation in our relationship with God? These people here in the crowd were there for a variety of reasons. We can only speculate on those things. But we can say this, for those that stayed throughout the three days, no doubt some had come to see what the guy was all about and then turned and left after a, a short amount of time. Perhaps some left after their provisions had run out and they you know, weren't really into it. But for those that stayed, for a variety of reasons, but we can say this with all certainty, they were hungry for Jesus Christ. They We're hungry for him. We know that because they stayed even as their food ran out. They stayed even as their supplies ran out. They're in the desert, in the wilderness. They didn't let the heat bother them. They didn't let the exhaustion bother them. They stayed. And after three days, the people were out of food. They were out of provision. But they had such an appetite to be in the presence of the Messiah. And so when I look in at myself, as I examine my mindset, I hope that I would find this kind of appetite to be in the presence of God, whether it's here in the church gathering with the people of God, or if it's at home, just with my Bible and in prayer, I hope that if I looked inside and examined myself, that I would find this kind of appetite to receive from him the things that he is offering to me, that I would set aside earthly things and pursue the one who offers eternity to me. That the words of the song would ring true. The things of earth grow, grow so dim in the light of his glory and grace. I hope that I would find that if I look within. That that would be my mindset. That characterized my life. And then here we see Jesus. And what has he been doing? He's been pouring out his wisdom. He's been pouring out his teaching and his effort. He's been pouring out the blessings of heaven for three straight days in the desert, in the wilderness. And he's been doing this continually for over a year and a half, just ministering to people, not having a place to lay his head. He doesn't even have a home to return to. He's sleeping out in the woods and he's, you know, just people or thousands of people are always coming to him and he's teaching them and he's praying for them and he's laying his hands on them. And though in his humanity he would have been exhausted, he was still mindful of the people. He was still thinking about these people. He's thinking about the multitude and their needs. He's thinking about what he could do to love them and minister to them. And so what does he do? He calls his disciples together, those 12 guys, and he starts explaining to them this situation. Now, as students looking back on this story, we have the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story is repeated in the Gospel of Matthew as well, so you could cross-reference there. And so as we look back, we might wonder, why did Jesus allow the food to run out? You know, he intended to provide for these people. He had the power to do so. It was nothing for him. He did not desire that the multitude leave unnourished. We saw that as we read the text. So why not just multiply the food while it was still in their pockets? Still an amazing miracle. Mark could have then gone to chapter 8 there and recorded how Jesus healed. And he taught and he did all these things. And he multiplied everyone's food continually so that... They never were hungry so that they lacked nothing. Over this three days of this continual retreat in the wilderness, he could have just filled their pockets with bread and with nourishment. And so why allow the people to come to a place of hunger? There's several reasons, I think. First, we must understand that sometimes God will allow us in the multitude to run out of something. The Bible does not teach a health and wealth doctrine of living for Christians. No, instead, God from time to time will allow us to hunger in some way so that we can learn the sufficiency and the satisfaction that comes only from God and from nowhere else. What did Paul the Apostle say? He says, I've learned to abound. We're into that. And I've learned to be abased, I've learned to be hungry. I've learned to rely wholly on the Lord because His satisfaction and His sufficiency is what I want. And so from time to time, the Lord will allow us to hunger in some way so that we can turn to Him and say, Lord, supply my need, which He desires to do. Now, second, we must understand that as disciples, as Christians who are living out our faith, the Lord desires to partner with us in His ministry. You see, Jesus could have silently and continually multiplied the food in their pockets over the course of these three days. That would have been a remarkable thing, a thing that we would look back on and celebrate. Oh, praise the Lord. It would have been fantastic. But if he did that, multiplied their food silently, then the disciples would have had no part in this incredible miracle. They would have had no part in this incredible ministry to these thousands of people. And Jesus wanted to share that ministry in that moment with his followers. Third, Jesus allowed the food to run out so that he could teach everyone there and everyone here about the faithful, wonderful, marvelous compassion of God. We get such a lesson in the Lord's compassion. What did he say? He says, I have compassion on the multitude. This compassion is an important part of God's heart and his nature that we can never forget. Now, the word used here in the Greek for compassion, it is in a form that is unique to the Gospels. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible, just in the Gospels. It is an active compassion. It is a working compassion. It is a compassion that sees and then moves because we serve a God of engaging grace. That is our God who engages and moves and acts on behalf of his compassion. Now, this is the same word for compassion cited in the story of the good Samaritan who stopped on the road to help the man who was naked and dying, who gave of his own time and gave of his own effort and gave of his own resources so that he could minister to a stranger. Other people had just passed this guy by, hadn't given him a second look. Some of the religious people crossed the street so they didn't have to get too good of a look at his suffering. But the Samaritan had this active compassion. This unique compassion where he stopped and he took mercy on this man and attended to his needs with his own effort and his own resources, his own time and his own strength. This is the same compassion cited in the story of the prodigal son. It's used of the prodigal's father who watched each and every day from the door of his house. He watched and watched for his son to come home looking on the horizon thinking one day my son will come home and I'm waiting for him because he had compassion on his son. And then finally one day he saw his son on the horizon and he got up from his chair and he ran to him and he threw his arms around his boy in this compassion and he restored their relationship. He said, my son was lost and now he is found. He was dead and now he is alive. And despite what you've done to me, and despite how you've broken this relationship, I have compassion on you. And I want to restore that relationship with you. This is the same compassion of the master who forgave his servant, who owed him a great debt that he could never pay in Matthew chapter 18. This is the compassion of Jesus Christ that we see here. And it is the same compassion by which we are called to live our lives as Christians. As we open up the Bible, that is what we find our calling to live like Jesus did and to treat people like Jesus did and to have the compassion that he had. That is the measure by which we are to see the world and engage in God's grace. As we move about in this community, as we move about around the world, as we live out our lives as individuals, we are called as Christians to this active compassion as we are filled with God's engaging grace. That's the calling. That's the deal. And so Jesus, filled with this compassionate mercy, he saw the state of the multitude, he saw their need, and he calls his disciples together, and he says this in verse 3, he says, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. People had come from all over the region to meet with Jesus. And so if we're looking at this statement allegorically, if we're applying it to our lives, ourselves, then we could say that you, no matter who you are, no matter who I am today anyone here, you are never too far off to come to God. You are never too far off that his grace does not extend to you, that his grace cannot save you. Whether you're a Christian here this morning who's struggling or has backslidden in some way, whether you've never been born again, you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal saving way. The Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You are not too far that the Lord's compassion does not extend to you right now. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus was saying about this multitude. And here's how the disciples responded in verse four. They said, Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? Now, we have to be a little bit disappointed here. I don't want to trash on these guys too much. It's easy to trash on people in the Bible who, you know, looking back, make a mistake that, oh, that wasn't the right decision to make or that wasn't the right thing to say. So that's very easy to do. It's easy to criticize. These guys had left everything to follow Jesus. They were in the desert. They had left their homes. They had left their jobs. They had left everything to follow the Lord. And so I'm not going to trash on the guys too much, but we do have to be a little bit disappointed. And here's why. Because they had witnessed this exact scene just a few months before, not years before, not decades before, just weeks or months before. In this exact situation, Jesus was out in the wilderness. A great multitude came. They ran out of food. There was a crowd of over 5,000 people and Jesus miraculously fed them with five loaves and two fish, more people, less food. And the Lord had done the same thing. Now, fast forward two or three months and the exact same thing is happening. And they come and they say, well, what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. You can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about it. So it's not really our problem what happens to these people. They shouldn't have stayed. And we have to be a little bit disappointed with that. Now, specifically in their statement, they pointed to the hopelessness of the wilderness. It's the wilderness. It's the desert. There's no bread stores here. There's no bakeries anywhere. We're in the Judean wilderness. Now, we sort of take that statement for granted until we pause to remember this. God loves to satisfy in the wilderness, He loves to do it. He does it all the time. Think about it for a minute. Those of you who know the Bible stories well or have been around God's word for a long time will follow with these illustrations. As a nation, the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness day by day after the Exodus. The Lord had freed them from slavery in Egypt and brought them out. They had to wander in the wilderness because of some decisions they had made. And what did God do? Day by day, he provided manna for them. Every single morning, provision they were a never-ending supply of heavenly nutritious pastries not only that but elijah the great prophet fast forward to the time of the kings in the divided kingdom he was hiding from jezebel the wife of ahab he was hiding in the wilderness he shouldn't have been but he was now god graciously and miraculously provided for him food and water which satisfied him for 40 days Let's look into the New Testament. These are just a few examples. When Jesus was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness after his baptism, he was there tempted by the devil after fasting for 40 days. What happened? Angels came and ministered to him there that he might be strengthened, that he might be satisfied. The psalmist says, God split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. And to him who led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endures forever. God loves to satisfy in the wilderness. Now this morning, perhaps you find yourself in some sort of wilderness, as it were, today. Some struggle, some difficulty, some pain, some trial. Some problem that seems to have left you alone and overcome. Maybe in your heart you feel like a hurricane has come and gone and left you in the wreckage, like we saw after Hurricane Katrina. Maybe you feel like that's what's going on in your life and your heart right now. If that's how you're feeling today... Whether you're a believer or not a believer, you can be confident that our God desires to help you. Our God desires to satisfy you in that wilderness. His desire is to give you the bread of life. His desire is to give you living water so that you don't thirst again. He knows what you need. He knows exactly what's going on in your life and in your world right now. And God's heart has compassion for you individually because he knows you. And his desire is to satisfy you in the wilderness. He's proven that again and again and again and again. Now, perhaps you don't feel like you're one of those hungry multitude. You don't feel like you're in some sort of wilderness in your life right now. Things are going pretty well. Maybe you're not in a time of terrible struggle. Maybe you're more like one of the disciples. You're living life. You want to serve the Lord. You love the Lord. That's good. If that's the case, then the application is that we be careful not to forget the power of God, to not forget all that God has done, not only throughout history, but even in our own very lives, because God has worked in your life and He's worked throughout history, and we cannot forget that. Because our God is a God of action, He's a God of movement. And if we forget those things, if we forget who God is and what He has done, then we're not only going to miss opportunities to minister, like these disciples almost did, But we're going to miss out on who Jesus really is. We're going to be more like the 12 who in this moment, they had a pretty sorry view of who their Messiah was. The people are hungry. We can't do anything about it. We've seen you heal. We've seen you multiply. We've seen you do all these things, but they're hungry. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do. And it's because they had forgotten who Jesus was and what he had done in the past. We don't want to have that kind of view of the Lord. The view that says, well, God can't really take care of this situation in my life. This is too big. I need some other kind of outside help. The Lord's not enough. That's not the kind of mindset we want to have. And if we forget the power of God and if we forget the nature of God, if we forget the urgency that God has to work on the earth, then we are going to find ourselves missing out on a dynamic Christian life. We're going to be living on this temporal level down here where the problems of earth are just overwhelming us and we think, well, what's God going to do about it? What's to bother praying about it? What's it matter? The Bible's not going to tell me something about this. What, what, how can we be satisfied in the wilderness? We're going to miss out on a dynamic Christian life and we're going to be living on the temporal level when God wants so much for us to live on the heavenly level. And if we live on the heavenly level mentally, He is always the solution. He is always the answer. He is always sufficient. God has proven that. Let's look at verse five. It says, Jesus asked his disciples, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. Bible commentator H.A. Ironside points out that this time, this feeding, they were to give of their own supply. The first feeding of the 5,000, the more famous of the two stories, they had received loaves and fish from a small boy who had packed it for his lunch. Great story. But now the same thing happens again and the Lord puts the task to them personally. How many loaves do you have? I want you to be a part of this. And we see our mission here in the example of the disciples. We learn again that God's desire is to use us to further his work in the world. As crazy as that sounds, that's the plan. Jesus could speak a word and solve this problem. He could speak a word and manna would fall from heaven. He could speak a word and their stomachs would be miraculously filled. He could speak a word and bread would pop out out of the ground and solve this issue. But instead, the Lord determined to share this moment with his disciples. And he gave them an opportunity to personally invest themselves into his work and into his kingdom. And that opportunity continues today. Because if you're a Christian here this morning, then God places on each of us a calling that we are free to accept, or free to reject. That's the deal. God says, you're a believer. You want to follow after me? Here's what I want for you. Here's the life that I've prepared for you. Here's the plan that I have for you. Do you want it? How many loaves do you have? Do you want to be used in this situation? If we're willing to receive that call, if we're willing to receive the call of God, then God is able to work in us and work through us His amazing plan for the world. And if we are willing to invest our very lives in His service, then He makes us partners in His work of redemption. It's an amazing thought. It's mind-boggling that God comes to us and says, I want to use you. I can do whatever I want. I can create something out of nothing. But I want to use you. And your life, right where you are, in my work of redemption. That's the life that Christ sets before his people. That's the offer that he's making to us. Look at verse 6. So Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks. And he broke them and he gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said to set them before them also. Again, as Christians, we must see what it is God is trying to do in our lives. And we see it here in these verses. This is how he has set up the work of the gospel. That we as individuals, we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We recognize him as the Messiah. And then we're filled with his spirit. We would then go and receive a calling from him where God says, I have a work for you to do, a work that we want to do together and having received his spirit and having received the calling, we would go and then take that bread of life that he has given us and set it before the multitudes of the world, person by person, receiving those things from the Lord and saying, I'm going to carry it and give it to others that are here and who are in need, that we would be there serving the people and we would present to those people around us this compassionate Jesus who desires to satisfy and save. That we'd look at who is around us in this area and we'd say, okay, the Lord has given me so much. He's given me new life. He's given me the bread of life. He's given me the living water. All these things that we read about in the Bible and I want to give it to you. I want you to partake in this as well, person by person, moment by moment. Now, notice they were simply to set the food before the people. They were not to force them to eat. That's the good stuff of, you know, comedy, right? Where you try to force somebody to chew something. You know, we see that sometimes in sitcoms or whatever. But that's not what they were supposed to do. It was up to the individual in the multitude whether or not they wanted to eat. And the same is true for us today. It's a mindset issue. So put yourself in the place of the multitude here. It is up to you whether you are going to receive the truth of God or not. It's up to us whether we're going to receive the call of God or not. It's up to us whether we're going to receive the correction of God or not. Will I receive what God is giving to me and what God is speaking to me in his word? Or will I ignore it and say, actually, I'm good. I'm full. That's the choice that we have to make in our minds and in our hearts as the Lord speaks to us, whether we're Christians or not Christians. That's the choice that we make as disciples. Now, put yourself in their place. If you're a Christian here this morning, our mission is to go and set God's word before the people, not force it down, not force them to chew. There are always people who are trying to force a message down the throats of others. Now, sometimes they do so in the name of Jesus Christ, and that is not what we are called to do. Instead, we see here that our calling, our mission is to personally serve, to personally go from person to person, offering them the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ, offering them his word, the sinless son of God, offering them what he did and what he said and how he is their savior and how they need a savior to offer that to them. And as we do so, how it works is very interesting. We go out and we offer to the person and then we return to Jesus to receive supply We go out and offer to a person and then return to Jesus to be filled. Back and forth and back and forth. Going out to distribute, coming back for filling. That is what the Lord wants for us. And whatever the Lord has given to us in this life is enough. It's enough to satisfy you and it's enough to satisfy the people that he wants you to minister to and show compassion to. Think about this. Seven loaves were sufficient. Seven loaves for over four thousand It may have seemed meager to the disciples. Think about it. When he said, how many loaves do you have? They pulled out their little flatbreads there. And they said, we have seven little pita breads. And they could have turned and looked over the thousands of people that were standing there hungry. Having been there in the desert for three days. And they would have thought, this isn't enough. We can't do anything with this. It's too meager. But it was enough for God to do this incredible miracle. Because God can do whatever he wants. Your life as a disciple may seem small at times. You may feel insignificant at times. You may feel that you don't have much to offer to God. But in the Lord's service, every servant is important. In the Lord's service, every disciple is significant. Because God is the only person that can make something out of nothing. He doesn't care if you have seven loaves or ten loaves or a thousand loaves. If you're willing to present yourself to the Lord if you 're willing to say yes lord i, I don 't see how you 're going to make this happen, but I want to be a part of it. I want to do what you want me to do if we 're willing to present ourselves before Him and actively follow Him, then we can do all things through Jesus Christ, who cares for each one of us dearly and personally and passionately. Verse eight so they ate and they were filled. They took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Matthew's gospel, his account of this story, points out that the 4,000 counted were only the men of the crowd. That was the custom in that time, and in many of the numberings of the Bible, it's counting the men. And so adding women and children, the actual number could have been even more than double this. So it was anywhere between, you know, four or 5,000 and 10,000. There's a lot of people that seven loaves and a few fish fed. The people ate, they were filled. And then the disciples, excuse me, gathered up seven large baskets full of leftovers. And then what? Time for rest? Nope. Time to immediately get in the boat, row across the sea and go off to the next place to do more ministry for a new multitude. That's the story. And so here's the application. The question that each one of us here needs to ask ourselves is this: Are you satisfied? I need to ask myself that as well. Are you satisfied in your life, in your heart? Because as we open God's word, we find page after page that he is offering peace and love and grace and mercy. He's offering joy. He's offering gifting. He's offering all of these things. He's offering satisfaction. And so the question then is, am I satisfied? If that's what God is offering, if that's what God wants for my life, am I satisfied? The crowd can speak to us of our mindset. They had come out to see Jesus They had received healing and teaching from Him. Then in their hunger, God gave them a full meal so that they would not faint in the wilderness. As Christians, it is important that we recognize the things of God are the only things that are going to truly satisfy us in life. The human heart, apart from God, can never be satisfied. This is why we always see on the news, you know, again and again and again, some celebrity, some athlete, some person at the pinnacle of material existence... And their lives are falling apart. They got the DUI. They're breaking up with their wives. They're having all these problems. They're turning to drugs. They're, you know, all this stuff is going on. And we think, what's going on? You have all the money you could ever want. You have all the luxury you could ever want. You have all the desire of your heart. Oh, but the human heart apart from God cannot be satisfied ultimately. From moment to moment, apart from God, you could think, I feel pretty good right now. But in the end, there's an emptiness there that only God can fill. John D. Rockefeller once said, If your only goal is to become rich, you will never achieve it. Very interesting, because he was the richest man alive. In fact, when he was the richest man alive, listed officially as that, he was once asked, how much money is enough to be happy? His response? Just a little more. Very insightful, very interesting, but so true. That's the human heart. The human heart, apart from God, is never satisfied. No pursuit, no desire. No temporal fulfillment. You need Jesus Christ in your heart. And so the question each of us must ask ourselves before our God today is this What am I pursuing to satisfy my life? If you're not a Christian, you're in trouble. You need Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian here this morning, what are you pursuing to satisfy your life? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Because Jesus offers us the only life that is full, He offers us the only life that is complete, the only life that is purposeful and forgiven. The only real life of fullness and meaning. Are you satisfied? Ask yourself. Ask the Lord. To every person here, Jesus Christ is offering you satisfaction today. And if we don't have it, we need to find out why. Because it's not because of God's faithlessness. Because he's offering it. He wants to satisfy. He wants to fill us. He wants to do these things. What about the disciples? At the end of this story, they're standing there with bushels full of fragments, leftovers. Standing there with the broken pieces that the people had dropped on the ground. That's what they got. It's an interesting visual, really, I think, because in this life of discipleship, we are called to sacrifice. We are given the difficult choice of taking up a cross each day and crucifying self or not doing that. Lord gives us a free will and he says, "Okay, you want to follow me? Here's what I need you to do so that you can receive all the things I have for you. God calls us to lose our lives. Now, these things, losing our lives and sacrificing and taking up our cross, I mean, that can sound kind of confusing and negative in a sense until we realize that all we're forfeiting and all we're crucifying and all we're sacrificing is control over our own future. And what do we get instead? The perfect plan of God who's been preparing for us a whole life and a whole existence to live. All we're leaving is the emptiness of a life in the world. And what do we receive? The fullness of God's spirit and peace and power and strength and joy and meaning in our lives. All we're missing out on is the futility of temporal earthly pursuits that end in death and destruction. That's all we're sacrificing, those terrible things for the fullness of God. This story gives us a snapshot of discipleship. We are called to sacrifice. We are called to service. We are called to give our lives over to God. Every Christian here is called to that. We're called to turn away from the things of the world. But we look here and we should marvel at what you receive as a disciple. If you're a disciple in this story, look at what you receive. Yes, they were left with fragments. It wasn't the best lunch of their lives. But do you think they would trade all that they received, their lives with Jesus, their years in His very present, and their years of service after His death and resurrection. Do you think they would trade all that for a nicer dinner at home? You know, Jesus, I know you're offering me all this stuff, but, you know, this fish is a little bit lukewarm, and so I'm just going to go have a steak at home. I just have some lamb at home. I don't care about all the rest of this stuff. I want something else. And that's sometimes what we do in our human hearts when we lose focus on Jesus and lose focus on all that He's offering us. Sometimes we decide that I don't want to serve others. What do I get out of serving others? I don't want to sacrifice. There's no benefit to that. God's not giving me anything. He just wants me to do a bunch of stuff. Oh, what a lie that is. What a falsehood from our hearts that is. It's as if we're saying to the Lord, yeah, Lord, thanks for delivering me from Egypt. Thanks for freeing me from slavery to sin and death. Thanks for promising me a new eternal life. Thanks for filling me with your spirit. Thanks for preparing me a place to spend eternity with you. But... I'd like some leeks and garlic today. I'd like just a a better lunch today so I don't have to serve people. I want people to serve me. I don't want to serve people. That's what the rich young ruler did. Guy came to Jesus and he says, okay, I want to follow you. You're the Lord. You're the Messiah. I want to follow you. What do I do? And Jesus said, okay, here's what you have to do to follow me. It's a life of sacrifice, but a life of complete fulfillment. It's a life of compassion and love for other people where you serve others and present to them the bread of life. It's a life of giving of yourself and dying to self. And the rich young ruler says he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. He'd rather have these shiny temporal things than the fullness of God. The crowd shows us our mindset. Today, each of us must evaluate ourselves to see if there is a hunger for Jesus in our lives. Do we have a desire to be in his presence? If we do, then the next step is to become a disciple. Step out of the crowd and join the twelve. Become a disciple who follows after the Lord, who presents yourself to the Lord and says, I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. Just tell me. Just tell me. If we don't have that hunger from the Lord for the Lord, excuse me, if we don't have it, then we need to find out why we don't have it. Because only a life in Christ matters. Only a life in Christ satisfies. And if we don't have a hunger to be with the Lord, then our lives are going to be very difficult. Each of us needs to check our mindset today. Jesus Christ is our measure today. He shows us God's heart. He shows us God's methods and ministry. He shows us what it means to have a compassion that acts and moves. A real compassion that reaches out to people. He shows us how he desires to partner with us in his work on the earth. He shows that he has a great love for the people of the world and he wants to satisfy them if they're willing to receive his bread of life. And he wants to use you and me to do that. That's what Jesus shows us. And the disciples show us our mission. That we today have the opportunity to personally invest our lives, to personally serve in God's kingdom. Their example warns us to not forget who Jesus is and what God has done, but instead to trust in He who is faithful and true. As disciples, we find that there is no shortage of multitudes, there is no shortage of opportunity, but there is no shortage of provision from our gracious Heavenly Father. He will always bring us provision and opportunity and multitudes to minister to. And so may we be the people who recognize those things and present ourselves to the Lord for service, for reliance, for satisfaction. And may we be filled with the grace and compassion that engages the people around us, that they may not faint in the wilderness.